The Automotive News Europe podcast is brought to you by Capgemini, a global leader in technology and digital transformation. Visit us online at www.capgemini.com and learn how Capgemini can help you get the future you want. Hello and welcome to the Automotive News Europe podcast for November 18th, 2021. I'm your host, Doug Bolduck, Managing Editor at a e Thanks so much for joining us today. Europe's 50 biggest dealer groups increased their share of the region's car retail market to 13% last year, from 10% just five years ago. And they are on track to have a 15% share by 2025. That's based on research done for Automotive News Europe by ICDP. Steve Young is Managing Director at the Dealer Specialist and our guest this week. He tells us how dealers offset the pandemic in 2020 and why they're reaping big benefits from the chip crisis in 2021. He also provides insights on how dealers feel about three key topics. The move to online sales, the switch to a selling model that lets automakers set the transaction price, and the key to success when it comes to selling electric vehicles. Hi, Steve. Thanks so much for joining us today for the Automotive News Europe podcast. It's a pleasure to be here, Doug. It's a great opportunity to uh, continue our relationship. So uh, thanks for the invitation. Steve, you are my dealer whisperer, my <laughs> retail savant. So I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about something that you folks have been doing for us for a number of years, which is a ranking of the top 50 dealer groups in Europe. Can you give us an indication of what are the biggest changes that you've seen in 2020 and 2021? Well, the the ranking reflects, uh, reflects 2020, which obviously was the year of the pandemic, and clearly we already see some further changes in 21 but looking at 20 compared to 19 the big change obviously is the revenue decrease because the market was down and uh collectively the top 50 lost about 10 percent by revenue but in terms of market share they actually increased their market share by around one percent so the, the the biggest change obviously is the is the pandemic effect the actual ranking itself some up by one or two, some down by one or two. But the, the the main change, probably, if you try to pick out any particular sort of big moves, would be Alcopa dropping out and Van Mossel moving up by three places. And that reflected the decision by Alcopa to leave the retail space. And Van Mossel was the main beneficiary of that. So Alcopa is still there as a pure importer is a JV with Berger, but they drop out of our ranking. Van Mossel has been very acquisitive and, uh, and and has moved up. And then also, I think the other point to, or two points to reflect on particularly, is the market share collectively of the, the those top 50 groups sort of increased again, as I said. And if you look at the trend, then 2015, it was 10%. 2020, it was uh, 12%, and in 2025, if we project that forward, it looks like it will be something over 15%. So that's uh, 
a big you know, continuing trend and it's reflected it's driven by continuing MA, which we just continue to see last year and again this year. For our listeners who may not be as familiar with the dealer landscape, can you tell us a little bit about the uh, the, the two brands that you had just mentioned that had the biggest changes? Alcopa R, a Belgian-based business, they were ranked in the mid-30s in our in our ranking in 2019, with quite a large number of dealerships, but also some importer activities. Uh, people might know them most for the big multi-brand site they've operated in Luxembourg for many years, which has always been a, a bit of a sort of poster child for, for multi-brand operators. But they made a strategic decision to move away from retail into importing, which is a, also a decision HK made a couple of years ago. And they've sold off all their retail operations now. And the main beneficiary is Van Mosel, which is a, a Dutch player very active also in leasing so they're very big leasing operations but they've been growing up the retail side of their business and uh hoovered up a lot of the alcopa sites sounds like the big guys are getting bigger and the medium-sized guys are also getting a bit bigger and that trend appears to be on the rise and will continue is there still an opportunity for somebody to enter this space or is it kind of a, a closed club do you think i think it would be challenging for for someone to come along i mean to 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 get a skill position requires that you've got say eight or ten dealerships um ideally with one with one brand and then you you earn what we call a seat at the table and so i think it's difficult to imagine uh, somebody coming in completely from the outside and doing that. Kind of wanted to just get your feel from what you're hearing from 2021, as we've seen the automakers just reporting these amazing numbers because they've been able to sell cars without major discounts. Has that trickled down and also been beneficial in the dealer sector? Absolutely. The, you know, there's some fairly spectacular results being announced by public groups, some of the private groups, then, then we don't see that data so, so quickly or so completely. But the shortage of product has, has actually worked to the benefit of both the manufacturers and the dealers and to a certain extent might also benefit the customers. You know, if they, it depends, it depends a lot on what happens as the supply situation improves. But if we actually kept to a more balanced supply and demand position, then obviously that helps residual values and that helps customers. Uh, so it's not necessarily bad news that you're not getting a big discount as long as that's also reflected at the back end in the residual. But the, the question is what manufacturers actually do as their supply improves. And that's going to be unequal. It's unequal at the moment. Some manufacturers are more affected than others. And as the situation improves, then that will also be unequal. And so we could get a land grab situation by the manufacturers who have supply first. And then the consequence of that would then be that the, those who are playing catch up are having to compete more aggressively in order to try and grab that share back. So it would be nice to think that we keep this this position because it's much better for the industry. I would say that the odds of that happening are probably less than 50-50.
that incredible pressure to keep that metal moving just is unstoppable, isn't it? It's part of the culture, unfortunately. I mean, the, last year was corrupted by all the government support for the pandemic. And so when you look at the numbers for last year, they're not necessarily, the underlying numbers are not as good as they might appear. But if you look at this year, then that's less of a factor. And they are turning in high profits, as you say, both at the manufacturer level uh, and the dealer level. Uh, and it just proves that if you're if you use your production capacity to make the cars that people want, and you're not throwing very substantial sums of money at discounts and moving age stock, then everybody benefits. We'll continue our conversation with Steve Young after this message. The automotive industry is going through a once-in-a-generation period of change, and the leaders of the future are making their move now. For 50 years, Capgemini has been helping organizations around the world benefit from disruption. In the automotive sector, we've been working with industry leaders to adapt strategies around new software-driven models, providing the foundation for the journey towards smart mobility. We help our partners find ways to benefit from sustainable practices, designing systems from the ground up that save resources for manufacturers and the earth alike. We help align players throughout the value chain, moving economic and production processes from linear use and dispose to more circular and regenerative processes, helping you ingrain sustainable development, reduce pressure on finite resources, and stake your claim in the number one mobility market of the coming decades. Share your experiences and questions with an expert in automotive transformation. Visit us online at www.capgemini.com and learn how Capgemini can help you get the future you want. One of the bigger issues that's happening in the car retail sector is the move by a number of brands to the agency model. What's the feel in the retail sector, how do they feel about the agency model? Is, do they think it's a good move or do they see it as a threat? It's a mixed reaction, not only from dealer to dealer, but also brand to brand based on what they see and hear. It also varies by market. So we've worked with a number of manufacturers looking at how agency would work. And you can see a market where there's relatively small dealers, relatively high inventory, but you want to have that inventory out front of the dealership, then that's quite a constraint. If you've got a, a market like the, the UK, where the dealerships are generally larger, they're quite sophisticated professional operators, there's actually a, a history of operating from pooled stock going back a few years for supply chain uh, purposes then there's probably a more favorable attitude to agency, but that does not mean that every dealer, even every large dealer, is in favor because they all fear some loss of entrepreneurial freedom. Another topic that is very big at the moment in this sector is the move to online sales. And we've seen brands doing it a little bit more aggressively than others, for instance, Volvo and Polestar, as well as Genesis brand. How is that being received? The brands like Polestar and Genesis are, are too small for it to really make any difference to the existing dealers and they don't obviously have representation. So it's not, it's not a threat unless it became a, a, a trend that was adopted by other brands. And so 
given the relationship between Polestar and Volvo, then I'm sure plenty of Volvo dealers will watch with interest how the Polestar effort works. But the, the research that we do, the consumer research that we do, says that even after the pandemic, we're only at something like 6% of new car buyers who ideally would like to do the whole journey online. People still want to visit a dealership, see the product, touch the product, have a face-to-face -face interaction with somebody who can resolve their final questions about their choice, and, and they'll do a test drive. And you, know, you can't do those things as effectively online. So the vast majority of customers at every age group want a mix of both. And they don't necessarily want to do the same things online as others within their age group, uh, but they, they all want to do some online and some physical face-to-face. -face. So, so that's omni-channel and that, that is the future and that's not an option for anybody. If you look at someone like Genesis, Genesis started in Canada with, a, with an online model and pretty quickly then decided they needed a physical presence. And the, I get this, you know, their experience reflects what I just said. Very few people who do the whole thing online, most of them will visit the physical outlet, which is operated under agency in order to do some of the, make some of the decisions, some of the choices. And you bring up a great point, which is that omni-channel, you want a little mix of both. And even Volvo has said, if I wanted the car and I was uncomfortable doing everything online, I could come into the dealership. And even if it was a quote unquote online only purchase, they would take me through the steps. So they would be doing it for me. I'd still be at the dealership. So it would be very familiar, except we'd be looking at a computer together <laughs> versus you know, doing more stuff with pushing papers across the table. So is that something that you're seeing as well, that there's still going to be that interaction? This is too big of a purchase to just say, okay, click a box and the car gets delivered. Absolutely. I think the, you know, you made a good point about the, you know, looking at the same screen. Omnichannel is not just that you have physical outlets and you have online channels. The, you know, the proper definition of omnichannel is the experience is seamless. And if it's going to be seamless, it means that your data is being carried forward, you know, through the journey from your first inquiry, probably in the manufacturer website, right through to the handover. And so the systems need to be connected. And if you don't want to have sort of a, a disturbance in that process, then the screen that the customer looks at online should be the same one they see in the dealership and that reinforces that seamless experience. So there's a, a lot of system stuff that needs to happen as well. And, you know, we will still have, you know, both the, and it, it partly it's about complexity. Tesla does better because they have a, you know, very, very simple product offer. But you've also then got to say, if you look, compare Tesla to other brands, then are they losing out because they don't give you, you know, the same range of options? And I'm not an advocate of, you know, an immense range of options. That's confusing. But there's a hundred build combinations on Tesla Model 3, you know, which is very, very narrow. It makes the online experience much easier. Customers can self-serve to a greater extent. But it probably means that Tesla's leaving some money on the table. So there's a middle ground somewhere, but it will still be omnichannel. Also, while I've got you here and we have a little bit more time, I wanted to get your feedback on whether or not the move to electric cars, full electric, plug-in hybrids, how is that being accepted within the dealer ranks? 
And uh, how are they making this possible? Because one of the things that comes with that is you're selling a very different product. And so I would imagine quite a bit of training and just quite a bit of mindset of training has to take place. The situation is improving. If you went back a couple of years, then even in the brands that had pure electric cars, then a lot of the salespeople did not have the knowledge that the customers needed. You know, they if you're going to sell a product, you should know the product. And, you know, I think if I was running a dealership, then I'd make sure that all of my salespeople uh, actually ran an EV as their personal car for a decent period of time. You know, you need to, you need to live the experience. I mean, I, I like electric cars. I've had electric cars for a long time, going back to the original Ampera. And it's only by living with them that you, you really start to understand about charging issues, about range anxiety. You can share some anecdotes with your customer, if you're a salesperson, and put their mind at ease or steer them in the direction perhaps of a, a longer range variant as opposed to a shorter range variant, because there's some aspect of their projected usage that, that makes a difference. So. The real experience is in many ways more important than ticking a box to say you've done the training course. But for the dealers, you know, they've all had to invest up front in the training for the salespeople, for the for the technicians, charging infrastructure, some special tooling. And that was a hurdle, but clearly we're past that point now and the volumes will start to flow and they'll start to get a payback on that. So I think that's um not a challenge now, but making sure the salesmen understand what it's like living with, with an electric car is important and it will continue to remain important because the technology is changing. So when the customer comes back in three years time to change their car, even if they bought a BEV last time, then there'll be another education process to go through about the solid state battery or the uh, some other aspect of how the performance has changed and the usage has changed. It's an ever-changing world out there, and I'm glad that we have smart people such as yourself who are looking after it. And Steve, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today for the Automotive News Europe podcast. That's a pleasure, Doug. It's always a, always a joy to work with Automotive News Europe, and uh, I look forward to being able to, to, to meet you again face-to-face maybe next year. We reached Steve Young at his home office outside London. If you have an idea for a future podcast or would like to be a guest on the show, please reach out to me at dbolduck at autonews.com. For breaking news, please visit europe.autonews.com. You can listen to this podcast and a wide range of others from the Automotive News Group on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play, or on our website at europe.autonews.com. That wraps up this episode of the Automotive News Europe podcast for November 18th, 2021. I'm your host, Doug Bolduck, Managing Editor at a e Thanks so much for spending time with us, and please be sure to stop by to europe.autonews.com to check out the ranking of the top 50 dealer groups in Europe.